0: On this episode of the Tough Juice Podcast, we had my good friend, none other than Coach Jen Welter. And listen, her story is so amazing because she is the first, let me repeat that a little louder for the people in the back, the first female NFL coach to ever be on that sideline. Also, the first female coach to be in The mad football game. I think it's amazing. Her testimony, her story, her mindset, and where it comes from. Her father being a Vietnam vet, being on the front line, the Cardinals organization, adopting her, having her on there, and just adapting to her philosophies and what she brings to the table. You do not want to miss this episode and who she was inspired by coming up as being the first in her generation to do what she did. True trailblazer. Subscribe to the Tough Juice Podcast on the Himalaya app or wherever you listen to your pods. That's where I want to start at, just what you've been doing in the midst of this pandemic, you know? (laughs) Uh, How have you been keeping your sanity uh, in the midst of all of this?
1: Yeah, um, so for me, it's finding ways to be proactive and positive right like in this essentially the world's deck of cards has been thrown up in the air right it's not like we thought it was before so what can each of us do to help reshuffle the deck and so for me it's been um taking time for people that you know you get busy on stuff whether it's coming to be a guest and give somebody time checking in on friends and family, and then also to really just um, be creative and problem solve. Like I've had a lot of friends reach out because now their kids are indoors and they are, you know, crazy. Like they have all this energy they can't put anywhere, right? So I've been doing some um, footwork and agility stuff um, on conference calls. And then um, I also wrote a couple of like, kids' books about activity for the really young ones because, um, you know, people are worried about screen time and the kids being inside. So I want to help kind of provide some uh, some outlets on that. And for me, having something that's a, even if it's a small problem that I can solve and help other people with that, you know, that gives me an outlet, makes me feel good.
0: And that's crazy because I had a guest yesterday, uh, Dame Dash, and he was talking about like, Now the real creators and the innovators are going to still, you know, find a way to rise to the top because, you know, we're creators. And when we're in a space where we get a chance to think and come up with new concepts and new ideas, we're going to share it with the world. So just talk to it a little bit more to that extreme of what you're doing and what you're sharing to the world right now, even while in quarantine.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me you know this about me everything i've ever done was created where people said it wasn't possible um and you couldn't do it or oh nobody makes a living doing that and that's that's who i am to the core so for me to number 1 be able to share that mindset with other people to help them feel a little better through the day that's huge because If I help somebody or give somebody knowledge or a tool to use, then the ripple effect of that is that they may help someone else and someone else. And and all of us who have that mindset means that we can win this together. Um, But for, I keep getting calls because, you know, that's what it is. Um, But for a lot of people, the focus right now has been, you know, on the macro, right? On um, the frontline and the adults and the businesses. And to me, you know, as somebody who's traditionally worked with a lot of kids, my mind is going to, okay, while these parents are working about this, you know, what's going on with their kids and how can we make sure that we have, you know, positive things for them, that we are giving them physical activity that they can do inside. And that's something I've done, you know, my whole life. So why not, you know, go in and create some characters that can help storytell that. Um, so the parents who are overloaded with now having to homeschool and some of that, we can give them tools to diffuse some of that pressure. So for me, I get to put on a little combination of, I guess, my coach hat and my, you know, my doctor hat to, to have a good impact on people. And that, that keeps me You know, I will go into my creative hidey holes, right? Like when I'm creating and I'm focused, I do it anyway. So this place that you see where I moved out here to LA to be around friends like you, and I can't even see them and I can't get my furniture out of quarantine. Well, it's probably good because it forces me to just um, really get in, in touch with some of the ways that I can see to where I can be positive for other people.
0: Yeah, that's a great statement too. And you know, I can't wait—you know—to give you a big hug when all this <laughs> stuff passes because I, I miss I'm you. So I'm air close. hugging you always know. over here.
1: <laughs> so close and so far, all at the same time.
0: It, it is crazy. But when I look at your impact, and you're always reaching out, and I'm—I'm I'm so mad because I'm on a run, uh, or my wife is doing club, with one of our kids, and then the other kids going, and you're doing camps with Snoop Dogg and so many other individuals. And I'm like, damn, like I missed it. Like, who was that inspiration for you when you was coming up? Because we're going to dive into all the things that you accomplished in your career. But who was that Im- inspiration for you that you was like, OK, one day I'm going to be that? Because I feel like you're the ultimate trailblazer and game changer in your space and what you've accomplished in your career.
1: You know, it's funny. I, I guess part of the reason that I'm so... um so big on trying to be that for other people is that I didn't have it. Right? Like I didn't have a woman that I could look at and say, "You know what? I want to be her." And I know that that was a struggle for me because I think, you know, being the first is is scary because there's no one to look at and say, "You know what? I'm going to do what they did or, you know, I'm going to follow in those footsteps." Now at this point in my career, one of the people I go to is a mutual friend of ours, which is Nancy Lieberman. Um, we, we laugh all the time because we've had parallel experiences in life and in different sports. So I might go to her and I'd be like, man, you know, I had the craziest thing happen," and I'll tell her a story and she'll be like, uh, sis, Did you take those words directly from my brain? Because I've kind of had that happen. (laughs) And it's weird because neither one of us would have had that person that we could go to in our sport. But thankfully, we do kind of in life. So it's like I look at what Nancy's done in basketball and I kind of look at that as like, okay, well, we need that in football and me and drives me and, and shows me what's possible, even though obviously it's um, And yet the importance of being that person for particularly young girls who often f- have been told that they're wrong because they're different, that's why I'm so like big on being visible and giving them permission to see something different because I was always kind of that kid. And I think... Once you see something, it changes your whole mentality. So if I can be present for those kids, if I can give them, you know, permission to be different or crazy or to love what you love, then, you know, I'm doing the right thing. So that's what drives me.
0: Yeah, you're definitely doing the right thing. And just. When you look at, you know, so many milestones and so many hurdles that you had to, you know, conquer growing up, what was some of the biggest ones you had to adjust and try to conquer? What type of defeats that, that you have to overcome?
1: Um, you know, for me, um, a lot of it was the opposite of what you have in terms of, you know, that that size challenge thing, CB. Um, a lot of people see football and they have in their mind that I'm like this this big person, um, but you know, as well as I do, that's not necessarily the case, right? Um, Your heart
0: big. Uh, yeah, my heart
1: is big, <laughs> but you know, I tell people in my mind, I am XXL, mm-hmm. but in my body, you better, you know, it might be like a kid's XL because I can <laughs> still wear the kid's clothes. Now I'm not going to lie. Right? like <laughs> Some of them are pretty good, right? Like if we talk about my kids, T-shirts, I'm still in the youth <laughs> sizes, right? Because um, I'm only 5'2". So I'm somebody who's been overlooked and underestimated uh, both on the field and off. And then even the place where, you know, I felt like I belonged the most in football was the place where everyone said women didn't belong. And so I always tell people maybe I was wrong enough to be be a little bit right. Um, because in every situation that I've really stepped in, they're like, oh, well, that that can't happen or that doesn't work. And and for me, it's kind of been the chip on my shoulder, right? Like that's the gift, like, okay. Oh, if women can't do this, oh, okay. Or if this is the final frontier for women in sports, that was always my favorite. Like football is the final frontier for women in sports. I'm like, okay, so you mean if if we can win this, then we can do anything. That's and correct. so- that's why I would always just kind of look for ways to innovate in a space where people said like, we don't belong.
0: Hey, was it, was it always football though? Like, was that the the sport that you just like gravitated to? It was never basketball, baseball, anything else?
1: You know, I was a little size challenged for basketball. Not going to lie. Um, I think I topped out on my interest in basketball when I was in like seventh grade um, because, you know, I mean, come on, you know, I I was, I I, I didn't, I hadn't yet reached my top height of five foot two and that rim was really far away. So basketball was never the one. Um, The first sport I really was into was tennis. Um, I was ranked in Florida for a number of years. The highest I got to was about 50. Um, And I thought I was going to be a pro tennis player, right? Like that was, that was what it was. I was on the courts every day, like on my own with the backboard, you know, pestering people to just play longer with me and all that stuff. And um, I got to the point where I had a coach who they were going to bring me to, who was like supposed to take me to the next level, you know, that guy. And he told me, that, because of my height and my build, I would never be strong enough to play pro tennis, and so, I tell that story a lot now, because you know, I kind of like to see him now and tell him he was right. you know, I'd never be strong enough to play pro tennis. I played pro football instead, um, but it did motivate me right it it that was a moment that forced me to get into the gym and that you know, had me lifting weights when, when girls weren't lifting weights yet and really, um, just fixed me in the mindset of, I was never going to have anybody tell me I wasn't strong enough again, right? Like I couldn't change my height, but I could change my build. That's what was in my control. And, you know, for that, it's been a part of my life ever since. So
0: what, what piece of advice did have someone given you that just kind of stuck with you that kind of just, gave you that momentum or that that fire to just like push you, you know, to the foreseeable future to greatness and doing some of the things that you're doing?
1: Um, you know, a lot of my mindset really came from my dad. Um, he was a Vietnam vet and he is a Vietnam vet. Sorry. Um, and a, wow, legit, a legit hero, right? Silver star, two bronze stars. And he really found himself in the military. Um his dad died when he was really young. So and he had an abusive stepfather. So when he got into the army and he found his boys like that was it, right? Like this is what you do. Like I remember asking him, you know, things like, "Daddy, were you scared when they were trying to kill you in the army?" And he was like, "No, Jenny. I was mad. They were trying <laughs> to kill my friends." Right? Like Wow. And so for me, who he wasn't one of those people who, like, if I went to you and I was like, you know, dad, I had a bad day, he'd be like, come here, let me tell you a story. It was like the reverse of that. He would tell these stories and then I would kind of pull out of them this code, right? Like, of this is just what you do. And So from that, it was like, you know, I played football the same way, right? Like that's why people wanted me to block for him because I don't care who you are, you trying to touch my friend and it's you or her and it's about to be you, right? So there were a lot of things like that from my dad that he taught me like, the funniest one I think is, he always said, you know, if you're gonna be dumb, you better be tough, right? Like (laughs) you got yourself into the situation, now what are you gonna do about it, right? It's not anybody else's situation, you've got to fix it. So for me, it was like, okay, I said I was going to do this. Not that it was dumb, but you know, maybe other people didn't necessarily see what I saw and how am I going to come out with a solution for it? Right. Everything was just very matter of fact with him. And it was also very much on a, like, what, what are you going to do? This is, this is your life. This is this is who you want to be. And it was very much a, a, like a code of honor of kind of like how you operate. And it was up to me to pull those things out. Like I remember the other day I was talking to him and he was telling me one of the stories that he was meddled for um, like him and one of his buddies saw a messenger in the high grass and they, their commanding officer couldn't, Couldn't allow them to go get the messenger, but they were like, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going right. And he was like, and they intercepted somebody who had critical documents, but it was in the high grass at sunset. It was very risky. It was something they could have died for. And at the end he said, you know, Jenny, the thing about me is I was a great warrior and a terrible soldier. And it was like, and you get that from me. Right. So that that mentality of, well, we have to fix this no matter what, no matter if it's ugly, no matter if, you know, I have to get my hands dirty, no matter if it's hard for me to make it easy on somebody else like this is just what you do. So I think I think, again, it's a blessing and a curse because it's definitely not always pretty polished and perfect in what I've had to do, but it is why I am the person that I am.
0: That's deep. And I have to ask you this because it was something that if I wasn't playing sports, I always thought about joining the army and the military. And did you did that ever cross your mind of joining, joining the military? It absolutely did.
1: Um, I remember when I was getting, you know, after the SATs come out and, you know, you get the letters and they want to give you scholarships and all this stuff. One of the ones I got was an offer from the Navy for like, you know, full ride if I would do the Navy. And, you know, we grew up on boats. I caught my first Blue Marlin when I was 14, like, and I I remember distinctly we're we're on a tower in the middle of the ocean. And I opened it and I brought it to my dad, like up into the tower. And he looked at it and he took it and he threw it, like just threw it overboard. He said it was like an nightmare It was like I I did not not my doctor's job. he has, still has um you know really bad, ADHD, which thankfully we have a relationship with you know being that and being his daughter that I'm the problem he talks to a lot of times, but I've seen those those ghosts when they they relive for him. Um, And so that was was one of those things. But it definitely, um, though I didn't serve, that was my moment um, because it was always something that I had the utmost respect for and still do. Um, And that also is why, you know, I do a lot of the things that I do today. Like I play with the Wounded Warriors amputee flag football game. Uh, team, and I have played with them all over the country for years and years now, probably since, I think since 2014, and I've played with them all over the country because it's a way we can, you know, honor those who have served. So it's imprinted my psyche to the utmost, but no, Papa Welter was not having that one. Dead, <laughs> dead. Dad threw it right overboard, and I remember it too. I was like, "Okay, so the navy is floating away, literally, but it's
0: just not happening." Yeah. So when you when you're talking about all those things and honoring those, you know, people in the service place, talk about the people that's on the front line right now. You know, that's you know, away from their families. When you talk about people that's on the front line in the medical field, when you talk about people that's in the front line, you know, service workers and all of that. Uh, any message or anything you want to say to those individuals that's listening?
1: You know, I think, and and I know that you'll be, you'll be with me on this. A lot of the times people look to athletes as like being their hero. Right. And, and the reason for that is because they can see us compete in real time and they can leave whatever is going on in, in their life and just kind of live vicariously for through us, right? It, it's, it is what the old gladiators were, right? It, it allows people to see that combat. And yet we are, as a society right now, um, it's, it's very clear. Sports are shut down, right? We, we cannot do it for all of those reasons. And the true heroes are answering their call. And unfortunately, the hard thing is um, that we only get to see bits and pieces of it. And, and we, only know, we only know parts of it. But for every single one of us, like our hearts are with them and with all of you. If you are out there on the front line, like you are my hero. And you are keeping all of us safe. And for all of us who are not on the front line, we owe it to every single one of them to pick up the slack in society, to really be good humans, to let our humanity shine through, and to find the ways that we can contribute, right? Whether it is putting a positive message forward, because people are lost right now and they are struggling. And there is a barrage of negativity and confusion out there that is like nothing I've ever seen. Right. So we all owe it to them to help them in every other area of society. We owe it to them to help make sure that, you know, like I said, that the kids are taken care of and thought of because they may not be on the front line, but They are the future and we can't have them having psychological trauma from like attachment disorders because they can't run up and give somebody a hug and they don't understand why. Right. We have to be great citizens for them. So for me, to everybody on the front line, like it is, it is our honor to have your back as you are literally going to war for all of us,
0: right? I totally echo those sentiments. And I I got a phone call from my sister, uh, my sister-in-law. She works on the front line. She's a respiratory nurse, and she works at the University of Yale. And during the midst of this pandemic, they had a night where 139 individuals was lost. And, yeah, it was just crazy. and to hear it in her voice, to have that conversation with her and to hear her strength as we comfort her, you know, from a phone call, FaceTime. And she she was able to pivot back into that environment and still go out there and, like you say, hit the game when in shot or do what she's great at. And I think that that don't get talked about enough. Like, we're always visually... Uh, seen as you know doing these heroic forms of our our calling right Right. we we making defensive plays we knocking down shots or whatever and people applaud us for it but they don't get that applause so you know your words was excellent and I just want to say I want to pay homage to all those on the front line that's doing magnificent work you know we truly appreciate you guys
1: it is and you know I I think what people forget is that you know They just don't have an audience. It's not that they're not brilliant and doing the right things. And I think, you know, at least to an extent, there there has been more access to the bravery and the heroism of the people on the front line. Not enough. But I do hope that they know that we're cheering for them right like that we really are like oh my gosh and and that we're showing that in every single person who is actually practicing social distancing and who are who are doing those things those are ways that we can support them by taking you know even one patient out of the ER because we were responsible in our own lives and we didn't say oh i'm tough it's it's, it's not about you yeah. Like I, there, This is not about any one of us. Every single one of us has a responsibility and opportunity to be a good teammate in this fight.
0: Absolutely, 100%. And not to just pivot away from that discussion, but I, I'm a huge believer in giving people the flowers while they still can smell them. And you brought <laughs> up the name of Nancy Lieberman. Can you just talk about, you know, a little more in detail what she's meant to you because I've served on the board for retired players and she's just been a true trailblazer in that space as well. When you're talking about uh, just empowering, you know, individuals that kind of get forgotten about, you know, the true foundation builders that really built this association to what it is and the way that she's giving back with the dream courts where she's going to different states all over. And just inspiring people to, you know, promote Fitness One, bringing cops and kids together. Uh, I think that it's just amazing what she's done with her body of work. And I know that she's a close friend of yours as well. Can you just talk a little bit on that?
1: You know, I, I remember knowing of Nancy Lieberman before I knew her, right? Like I, I met her in passing once and, um, And I was kind of, you know, this was when I'm I'm playing women's football, nobody even knows we exist. Like, and I was a little, you know, like, oh my gosh, like that's, she's a legend. Right. And then a couple of years later, um, a friend of ours who was, um, head of PR for the UFC, um, when I was playing on the men's team, right. When I was playing in men's pro football, he was like, Jen, do you know, Nancy Lieberman? And I was like, I mean, I, 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 of her, but I don't know her. And he was like, well, you need to know her. And so he did what, you know, good magicians do. He sat us next to each other, um, at the fights. And I remember we shared some Twizzlers because if you don't know Nancy, Nancy loves Twizzlers. Yeah. You ever want to get on her good side, bring some Twizzlers. Right. (laughs) And we just kind of started chatting. Uh, Dave came over, check on us. And he was like, so Nancy, what do you think? I told you, you and Jen would get along. And she's like, oh, well, I just let her borrow my arms for the evening. Cause you know, cause I, not everybody can handle this buffness. So we'll be okay. And he was like, and Jen, and I was like, well, I let her borrow my height for the evening. So we're good. We're even. Um, and it was just this funny, like she has this way about her. That's so easy and gracious. And she takes care of everyone. Right. And from that night, we really became friends. And I tried to call her like the night before uh, the Cardinals' announcement because I didn't have anybody else who I thought would understand it. And she was in the she was in the middle of coaching for the D League at the time, right? It was summer league, and she's like, "Hey, sis, really busy? Can I call you tomorrow?" And I kind of was like, "Yeah, of course." Dang it! Right, this is getting announced tomorrow, okay. and So then we had the press conference the next day. And I remember she goes, yeah, so is is this why you wanted to talk? And I was like, yep, yep. And (laughs) she goes, Jen, you could have told me no. I was like, (laughs) well, you know, you were busy too. And she was like, not too busy for this.
0: (laughs) This is crazy.
1: (laughs) And she goes, she's like, I have never answered so many questions about Another female (laughs) in my life. And she goes, But my favorite one was this one. You know, everybody's asking me, like, Nancy, in theory, how do you think this female will do coaching men? And she, you know, being true Nancy, this is why I love her. She cuts straight to the heart of it. And she's like, Do you want to ask me the most important question? And the reporter was like, I guess it's one she'd known for a long time. He was like, Well, yeah. And she goes, why don't you ask me if I know the girl first? <laughs> and he was like, oh, 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 you know her? And she was like, yeah, really good friend of mine. And yeah, she'll be amazing. And it was kind of the bonding to that. And then she went to the Kings later that year. Um, mm-hmm. So it was the same year. And I surprised her at her first game because it's really hard to be like the only woman and nobody knows what to do with you. Um, And then I surprised her and that really kind of like launched the friendship to another level, right? Like, you know, because we would laugh about the same things and we had gone through a lot of the same things. And what I've seen in her is that she is that person to so many people, right? Like you said on the board, like she would be the person who throws the truth out there. Like, Hey, yeah, by the way, uh, do you know who this person is? Uh, Do you realize why this is important? And let me check you right now. And she does it in such a way that is so authentic and so loving and so just matter of fact that you kind of can't argue. And she has, you know, in my mind without argument, been that person in so many ways and continues to, right? Like, you know, I remember when she was the head coach of the D League team in in Frisco, right? And then, Balling. you know, and was freaking and then went, you know, to the Kings and you know, is in the big three. And not only was she there, but she was coach of the year and she won the thing. Like, you can't argue with the fact that this isn't just a woman who plays basketball. This is a baller. Like, whatever, I don't, I don't care, whatever team it is, whatever I'm trying to do. Like, I want Nancy on the team, right? It could be Pinochle. I want I want her on my Pnuckle team. I don't even know how to play Pinochle. <laughs> but if I'm going to war, this is a woman that I want. And she just continues to look for ways that she can, she can, you know, Nancy the situation, right? Like she's going to put a dream court in a hometown and not only do it for the kids, but make sure that hometown heroes like yourself are highlighted in the process, right? It's never just about her. And I think all of us can learn you know how to how to really be a leader in anything through the the human that she's been in basketball and you know i tell that to people they're like well, do you have a goal in football i was like you know if i could have an impact in football that is close to right what nancy has done in basketball all of these years um that would be a dream come true you know because she has constantly been someone who rises to the occasion and always moves the needle for everyone around her you know
0: that was crazy and you and so well put and stated and when you look at your career as being the first female NFL coach to be on that sideline and what was that experience like? Like you touched on it a little bit with the press conference and the questions that Nancy was being asked about you, but what was the questions that you was asking yourself about yourself in that moment? And was you scared? Was you nervous? Like what was going through your mind in that process?
1: Well, the first thing that I'll say is, you know, it was crazy because You know, at least in basketball, you can see the path, how it evolved, right? Like, you know, Pop and Becky in the same building, right? You see the work ethic, you respect the game, all of those things. Part of the reason why it was such a shock to people in football is there's not parallels like that, right? Like there's women's football players, though we've been there, like, you know, we were in the trenches. Most people didn't even know women played football, right? Like I played on the U.S. national team twice, won two gold medals, and most people didn't even know that one existed, right? So women in football, first of all, was just kind of like unheard of. And the conversation about having a female coach in the NFL didn't even really exist because there really wasn't, you know, there weren't any in college. It's not like there was a pipeline at that point. So it was out of like, Nowhere and people like I remember you. You'd see people when we were in Arizona, and I'd like go through you know the team hotel, which obviously one girl. It'd be like I almost felt like it was like you know that saying when they say you could cut tension with a knife. But I, it was like I had a soundtrack when I walked by the people who weren't on the inside. You know the people who are watching. It'd be like bum 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 because they'd all like you know like oh my gosh thanks. Like, you know you get whiplash, and I'm I'm not like that, so I'd be like uh, okay. Time to hide. Um, I'd be like, oh, time to get out of here. Bye. It's crazy. Um, And yet the guys are, are, you know, they were thrilled, right? Like they were curious, but they were thrilled. So one of the things that I'll say, Bruce Arians did really well before the situation. Um, You know, he is known for being a player coach, but he asked the leaders of his locker room first. He brought them into the conversation before, he like made the final decision of whether he was going to do it or not. And so, you know, I don't know which players he had, but I would have to assume it was like his captains, um, you know, like Larry Fitzgerald and and Patrick Peterson, uh, both of which, you know, kind of went out of their way to, you know, welcome me and good. Calais Campbell was same way. Um, and he, you know, he told them what he was going to do. So it wasn't like, Oh, Hey guys you have to listen to this girl and she's out of nowhere. Right. So the players were prepared. When I got there, most of them had already watched my game film, um, which was, you know, as athletes, like, you know, somebody like took time to check you out. Right. Like they're like, Oh man, coach, yeah, we watched your game tape. Like you were a beast off the edge. And I was kind of like, okay, we might be all right. Like they don't hate this. So
0: everything cool. Okay.
1: Um, And then they were also really respectful of the fact that like we had all overcome, Um, you know, a bunch of the guys tell me like, man, coach, I just never even imagined that this would be possible. And we know it was hard for us, like for the guys coming up and what they had gone through and they were like, but for you to get here, like you are the ultimate underdog. So I think them being open to it really was important to me um, because it was like, okay, you know, cause I don't care how good you are. If the players don't want you there, you know, I, I could have been Bruce Arians in a skirt and they wouldn't have listened. Right. Like it didn't matter <laughs> how much football IQ I had. If they were closed to the idea, it wouldn't have worked. So I give a lot of credit to everybody in Arizona and to the guys on that behalf. For me, Going in, the best advice I got was from, you know, unfortunately he's passed away now, was from Terry Glenn. And T.G. coached with me at the at the Texas Revolution. And I remember him telling me, he's like, you know, Jen, I have been thinking a lot about you going to the NFL. And he said, if you are the same person with them that you were every single day with us, they will... Absolutely love you. But if you're fake in any way, they will sense it and they will eat you alive. And at every moment that I wasn't sure, right? Like that I wasn't sure, should I say this or should I? you know, how was I going to coach? What was my style? Like, I can't coach the same way as this six foot seven dude would be like up in somebody's face. Because if you yell at somebody's belly button, it's really not intimidating. You know, all of those kinds of things, whenever I felt lost, I would really just go back to what TG had said. And it was like, you know, be authentic in who you are and what you bring to the table. Right. And and be that with these guys, because, you know, thankfully having had a lot of like NFL big brothers throughout my playing career and, you know, kind of being like their kid sister, they'd be like, you need to do this. You need to do that. I'd been around them. And I, I knew very well, you know, even from having consulted sports psychology that, you know, the guys would say the game doesn't love you. And there are a lot of people who are just in it, for themselves. And so my approach to them was always like, you know, I'm here for you. My job as a coach is to make you better, whether that's on the football field or off. If I can help you, I will help you. And so we ended up a lot of the times talking about the things that were in between the Xs and Os, right? Like if something is going on at at home, And you know your wife is mad at you, and your mind is your mind isn't here. So let's talk about it. Let's get through it. And then, of course, you're gonna you're gonna listen to me when it comes to you know you need to get healed depth so that you can squeeze down the line or something like that, right? Like that stuff becomes a lot easier. So really trusting in that, I think, was the learning curve. and and that was the exciting part. Like I think it came together really naturally. And the fact that they allowed me to be that person for them is also why, you know, why I have great relationships to them to this day. Right. Like I saw uh Calais Campbell at the Pro Bowl. And it was so funny because I was just he was doing something, and I was like, Calais. And you just saw him. It's like. Cause they always said they could remember this raspy voice anywhere. <laughs> and he was like, coach Jen. And he like, kind of like, you know, Clay is big dude. He kind of like tackled me. He's like, kind of tackled you. And I'm like, that's all right. You know, Chandler Jones, <laughs> same thing. And everybody was like, Oh my gosh. Like, like, I'm like, yeah, those are my guys. Right. Like, and I think that was the part too, that, um, kind of caught people by surprise is not only did the guys like, Tolerated, but it brought something to the equation. And I think the hard part for me was the pressure of knowing that the whole narrative of women coaching in men's pro football at that time was being written by us. And I never wanted to give anybody a reason to say, oh, we had a girl. Dot, dot, dot. Like, and this is why we closed the door and why we cannot do that again. Um, Because nobody knew. And I remember at the end of it, like the, the kind of the closing press conference, right. Um, They, it wasn't a press conference, it was like the after practice, you know, everybody, all the reporters are there and there were tons of them. And, you know, they put me up on the like interview box. Um, I don't know, they probably should have double boxed me because I really felt like the reporters were like coming down on me. You know, short people need like two boxes. I'm <laughs> telling you, I needed like a booster seat or something. <laughs> but I remember feeling like all of these, you know, microphones are are like caving in on me. And I realized at that time, I'm like, they were all waiting for that, you know that dun, dun, dun moment, like that it was going to go terribly wrong or something horrible was going to happen. And they could all have this narrative and like be like, oh, well, you know, the experiment was novel here. Having a female coach in the NFL. But I
0: told you so. You know,
1: we knew that that could <laughs> never happen. You know, a woman in this situation. Oh, God. Oh, no, no. And I remember having that moment as I was like, oh, my God, what are you really? Doing? And I just looked at them and I was like, you know what? we did the impossible and we did it well. And, you know, for right, wrong or indifferent, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of those guys and they're like, man, that was one of the coolest experiences of my life. Like Kalea said that when I saw him at the pro Bowl, he's like, coach, he's like, I had, to, I had to check these people the other day. Cause you know, there's a few, there's a few women now coaching. And I think that that's great. And he goes, well, we're history we're history. Like, man, that was like the coolest experience ever. And it, you know, it was one of those things that you're like, and that's why, because once it's been done, it can't be undone. So somebody can't say it can't work. Does yeah. that mean every woman could coach football in the NFL? No, but it also, you know, we all know every man couldn't coach football in the NFL too. So, you know, At least you set the standard that it's possible and then you'll you'll continue to see, you know, more and more opportunities come. But boy, boy, in that time, it was tough.
0: You killed it. And you was a true trailblazer when you talk about being the first, you know, being the first NFL coach on the sideline, being the first to be, you know, added on to a video game that was major. And I remember you sending me over a text like, bro, like, this is crazy. And I remember also, you know, going to Mastro's here in uh, California on the PCH and you handed me this right here and everything that, you know, went into that. Can you just talk about uh, ultimately your legacy that you're building on and what you already have established and how important that legacy is to you? And what do you want that legacy to be?
1: You know, it's so funny. People think that, like, you get to a point and, and things start to to be easy, right? And And it's funny because every time I think I might have gotten to that point, something checks me really quickly because I realize there are so many more areas that you know, the conversations need to happen, that the needle needs to be moved. And I know you do this because of how much you do in the community. But like, I remember when I went to get that book published or to like, you know, write a book, it got turned down by everybody. And the answer was women in football doesn't sell. And I remember being like, but I'm pretty sure I was the first. So how many times have you tried, right? Like, what do you mean it doesn't sell? Like you have never tried. But a lot of these narratives um, in terms of whether it's what book they think will sell or, or what movie they think will do well is because we're rehashing something that has already been done. But if you're truly like moving the needle, you're seeing A different future. And, you know, that's when people call you crazy. And I I tell people all the time, like, you know, I have been called crazy a million times, right? Like, and I, I still am. But if somebody else saw what you saw, they would have already done what you you're doing, right? Like if it if it wasn't crazy to innovate, then that would mean it already existed. And so I constantly now am looking at the places where change is still is needed, right? It was the same thing with the girls' camps, right? When I first realized that nobody was coaching the girls, I was like, okay, well, somebody, you know, I pledged, and you know me, this is kind of what I live by. If you're the first, the opportunity and the responsibility is to ensure you are not the last, right? So that means we have to create opportunities and connections we have to create opportunities so that girls can play the game earlier. Um, football is still the only sport that doesn't have parity at any level from peewees to the pros. It suffers from sins of omission, meaning you don't have to tell a girl that she can't play football. She can turn on everything from Friday night tights to college to the NFL and maybe play ISPY and find a girl one out of a hundred times, right? So you don't have to say it, like it suffers from sins of omission. She can't see herself there. So why would she believe that she belonged there, right? And so the girls' camps were that. When I started doing those, everyone said it wouldn't work. Girls don't want to play football. No, girls don't even know that they have the opportunity to decide if they want to play football or not. I don't want every girl to want to play football. I, I want every girl to find what she wants to do. But football has traditionally just been off limits before they even got to try it. So I say that we're teaching confidence through football and teaching girls there's no game they cannot play and no field they do not belong in or on. And that with great coaching, they can do anything, right? You hear it all the time. It's like inherent speech. Oh, you throw like a girl. No, listen, you don't throw a football like a girl or a boy you either throw a football, like you've been coached or you haven't. And yet most girls haven't been socialized to do it. So even to casually go out and play catch or play street ball, when we get back to life, um, you know, a lot of the times they would get made fun of because they were a girl, but it's really not that they were a girl. It's just that nobody took the time to teach them. So then I got fired up about that and everybody told me it wouldn't work. And so I announced a national tour with no sponsors and just a few people who said they would help me figure it out. And now we've done, you know, 35 camps across the country, ended up um, being signed by Adidas last year as the first, you know, woman to be signed as a football asset to a major brand, right? A lot of A lot of guys are used to getting endorsement deals, but there had never been a female in the football space that had been fined to represent the game of football, you know? And you think about that, like all the stuff that's going on in football is still first. Madden was another chance to change the dynamic, right? Like the the power of that is not me necessarily being in it, but the fact that you know, um, a kid, whether it's a boy or a girl could pick a team that was coached by coach Jen. Right. And, oh, I had a female coach in Madden. So it's not really a big deal. If I then had one as a coach for one of my teams, I'm already used to it. Right. And I have people who are like, oh man, I only play with team shutdown. Cause I'm a, I'm a defensive player. Right, and we do have the best defense. So if you want defense, you're going to pick. You're going to pick Team Shutdown. But the funny thing is, like Madden didn't even necessarily realize that it was a big deal to have a female in there, and that's Madden 20. So we're talking hey. 20 years of the game in football that you could never have a female as a playable character, and yet I, you know, part of the reason I moved out to LA is that. The content is still lagging in terms of where you could see or imagine, you know, girls in football, right? Like we still talk about, you know, girls in sports in general, right? Like actually having the same amount of platforms so that girls could see and want to be some of these, you know, some of these great athletic heroes that guys have had to aspire to as a way and a path and a hero for a long time. Girls aren't exposed to that to the same degree. I want girls to know that they can grow up and be anything, right? And so if the, if the quote unquote real world isn't there yet, then we can change the storytelling world to imprint and give that same dream. And it was, you know, really the process of going through the book publishing, um, rejection and the football camp rejection and you know changing the dynamics with Madden that re- forced me to think about the the way that we're being impacted in all of in all of those other areas that we see than just on the field, right? The the analysts that we have in football. You have, you know, on most of them it's what, five guys at halftime? Yeah. There are women who could talk football to that.
0: Absolutely. And yet
1: we're not seeing them at all. Right. Like there are there are amazing stories of women in football. You know, mine would be one of them, yes. And none of them have been made into movies or TV shows. I'll tell you, I got them. I, I have a million things that these things can and need to happen because you are only going to see more growth but that growth is accelerated with permission to dream you know and that's what i want the legacy to be i want to open doors and open minds and yes there that means that there will be women who walk through doors that i opened and never get to walk through and that's that's great because it's not about me right that's that's what great team players learn or great coaches learn is is if you're just worried about yourself, you are always going to be inherently limited. But if you are, you are working on a, a legacy and a, you know, kind of a ripple effect of how you can impact the future through what you do, then, then it's always something bigger. And there's always more to do, right? Because, It's like I say, the higher I've gone, the more I realized how many challenges there really are, right? Who would have thought like you made history, a book would seem logical. And yet the book that you have behind you is only part of what I wanted to tell. Because even when it got picked up, they wouldn't pick it up as a straight sports story. They would only do it if it was a motivational take on my story.
0: Can you imagine
1: telling that to one of the guys, right?
0: are
1: There are guys who have played maybe one season in the NFL. You know, obviously they had a compelling story and and a way to tell it, but that was easier to get picked up than mine. Everything I've done, never had an agent, never had anybody because they didn't know what to do with me. So it's been me pushing that needle. And then you see it, it pay off in oftentimes in dividends for other people who have come after, right? And that's the stuff that like pushes me on a day-to-day basis. You know, that's where I look at like, you know, Nancy and the stuff that she's done as much as, you know, Nancy is the woman to me. You know, we even talked about it. She's like, and yet Becky Hammond opened a door for me. And when she said that, I was like, you are just, like, you're my idol, right? Like, because she could that succinctly put it into, I'm like, man, you know, just how you've moved the needle in basketball. And she goes, and you're that person in football. And she goes, and yet we should all be supporting and elevating each other because, you know, I got my opportunity in Sacramento you know, in part because of Becky getting her opportunity in San Antonio. You know, and, and and I think that that's the bigger picture.
0: That's amazing. And I think that you put it so well. And I just want to tell you that you've been a true trailblazer in all of this and a needle mover and somebody that inspires so many from different walks of life, myself included. And I can't wait to tell this story i can't wait till people see this and listen to it uh visually and just you know take in all this wealth of knowledge from you know your story and learn from it and share it with others i appreciate you coming on the tough juice podcast and i look forward mm-hmm. to giving you that big hug when oh I see when all this passes
1: and karen i can't you know uh most people don't know this but like you know you to me, like you motivate me all the time like i I get so happy every time I see you like winning, and for those of you who and uh, you're listening to this because you know Quran, but he is that person, like you've been that person since we met, and I my mean, gosh, that was like five years ago or something, yeah, you know, and most of the time we're just trying <laughs> to chase each other down. like be in the same place for long enough to be able to catch up um and that's why i think it's really hilarious that you know of course i finally get to la (laughs) i'm finally closed and the world is shut down so we're not even allowed to do that now but we we will make it because you know we we've now known each other like five years and i think we've gotten to see each other like twice. twice Maybe two times. Three, this is the third time now. <laughs> this is the third time. This is the third time. But um, just, I mean, you, you continue to be that person who shows that who you were and where you came from and what you overcome can help define you in a great way, right? Not define you in a way that, Put, holds you back and i think that's why we we hit it off because for whatever reason that the deck is stacked stacked against you when you realize that it's your deck deck of cards to play with like then the game changes right like and, and i see you do that constantly and just the positive impact that you have in so many areas and you know i'm gonna be like you one day
0: yeah. Appreciate I'm that. That means level. everything. No, we on the same level. Hey, I'm bringing you with me wherever hey, we go. go. You know what I mean?
1: Look, hey, like I said, remember I told you, like, I don't care if it's team p <laughs> Nancy's on it. You're on it. I mean, I remember we called you. Did we call mm-hmm. you? I think we called you and left you a message on the phone one time when we were talking about you. Because we were like, yeah. are your ears burning? Because I am in the car <laughs> with her. It's was like, Oh my gosh. I love court. you. So cool? <laughs> like, yeah, of course I do. What? Okay. No. He might love me better. Uh, I think that was probably the fight we got in because, you know, we get competitive. But, yeah.
0: you know, you,
1: you were with us in that one, too. So, you know, you're on that Pinochle team, like the dream team right here. Yeah, might man. have to learn Pinochle. We might have to find yeah. a different game. Maybe we'll just play some spades.
0: Yeah, man. I'm cold at spades and pity. Hey. Come on.
1: Hey, look, (laughs) doctor of psychology. If nothing else, I mess with minds for a living. Come on now,
0: you cold blooded. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Appreciate this. You You, you know I love you. Yeah, fist pump, fist pump. (laughs) Love.
1: Distance hug. Uh,
0: Yeah, distance hug.
1: Distance hug. I love you. All
0: right, take care. Bye. Bye.